I just wanted to start out and pray. We're Ratho and Jessica. Thank you, Ashley, for that. That was so sweet. Lord God, I just thank you for just this time to share our our lives with this body, Lord God. And I pray that it would bless them and that just the Holy Spirit would be um, just revealed, Lord God, through just the just through the highs and lows of our lives and the redemption that you've done in our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as she mentioned, I'm Rotho Reese. Um, so my story, I was born in 1981. I uh, just grew up here in Oregon City, pretty close, so I made it all the way to Milwaukee, really far away. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a small, just a little community Baptist church. Uh, there was maybe like a dozen families or something like that. Um, so it was a very, very close-knit community. Uh, my dad, he was basically, there was the pastor and then there was my dad. He wasn't associate pastor by title, but basically did all the other jobs. Um, also helped lead worship, so that was pretty fun. I remember when I got to the right age, I got to do the, the transparencies, you know, for the worship. I was helping lead. I got to put on the little projector that went up on the screen. That was a, a big moment in my life. Uh, of course, it was the only time that my parents got me to wear a tie as well, so... Uh, and then my mom, she was more involved in like the children's ministry. Uh, she stayed home with me. Um, so my parents, you know, my mom raised me at home. I was an only child. Uh, my dad would go to work. Um, bus driver for TriMet. Did that my whole life, uh, even before I was born. Um, so she would help with all the kids, Awanas and Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. So we were very involved. Uh, we were at church every single Sunday for both services. Um, we had a morning and then an evening. So we'd come home, my dad would take a nap, and then I'd go back with him in the evening. We'd go back to the evening service. So, um, very involved in the church. I loved the Lord. Uh, when I was 10, uh, I ended up getting, I chose to get baptized. Um, they walked through it, walked me through to make sure I wasn't just doing it as like a kind of a show thing. They wanted to make sure I understood what I was doing. Um, and I did, and I was clearly understood that what that was representing. Um, and I remember uh, as I got into youth group, my just kind of an example of how much I was on fire for the Lord was, uh, does anybody remember sing things? Does anybody know what that is? No, I, was, I put that in here because I was curious to see if we'd get any hands. So our youth groups would gather with a bunch of other youth groups from the area, and we would go to these nights where we'd go to a very large church. of It was a different location each time, um, but the entire night was just worship all night, and I loved it. Um, I don't know why that made me cry, but we'll see if I can get through the rest of it. But um, it's just because I remember those nights that those were the nights that God was doing something big in my heart. Um, so anyway... As we moved into middle school, uh, that's when I started getting picked on, got it bullied at school a lot. Uh, I was this certain kid, I remember his name, I won't mention it here because if, you know, I told us not to mention names. So uh, I've forgiven him, we've moved on, but I was basically his daily punching bag. Um, and it was pretty, that was pretty painful, uh, physically and emotionally. So what that drove me into doing was to start to fit in, right? If you're being picked on and you're bullied, what you naturally start to do as a human is you adapt to your environment and you started doing, um, you know, what my other friends were doing, which was not hanging out at, we weren't, we weren't going to Bible studies, that's for sure. Um, we weren't going to church, that kind of stuff. So I was still going to church with my family, but by now at this point, I was living two different lives. I was going to church with my family on Sundays, being that perfect kid at home, and then, hey, I'm going to go play with my friends at the park, and that's when we'd start to go sneak cigarettes from my, parent, my friend's parents and start smoking, uh, started casually social drinking. Um, which later eventually turned into pretty much parties every weekend. Um, but that progressed gradually. Living these two lives, though, I would go back to church and I'd be convicted of this lifestyle that I was living. I knew it wasn't right. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I had to hide everything. I was stashing things behind drawers and in secret places in my room, making sure that my parents never caught at me or found me. 
Um, but when I was out there, I was a totally different person. So at church, I would get convicted. I'm like, man, I got to turn my life around. But then I would go back and hang out with my friends again, and it would drag me back in. So the world just had a really tight grip on me at that point. Um, so when I turned 17, um, was a pretty big turning point in my life. Um, that was about when I was 13, I started smoking and then gradually up till about 17, it was getting worse and worse drinking with my friends. Um, at 17, my life was totally turned upside down when my parents sat me down and, uh, told me that they were going to go ahead and get a divorce. Um, circumstances that I won't get into now, but led to a, a reasonably understandable reason to get divorced. Um, and so that turned my life upside down because at that point I was so caught up in what I was doing that I totally missed all the signs that my parents' uh, marriage was falling apart. Um, lack of communication, my dad would just be in his office all the time and not really communicate back and forth. They'd fight and argue, but, you know, that's what parents do. That's marriage. Um, but not realizing that that was, it was breaking, they were separating and pulling apart. Um, so when they said that they were going to get divorced, uh, I was sitting with the pastor. He would talk to me and he explained to me what was going on. Um, but the way the church wanted to handle it was that the person that was at fault had to come up in front of the church and apologize publicly before they could return to the church. There was no helping them through things or counseling their marriage or anything. It was just this person did wrong, and until they say sorry in front of everybody, which, like I said, was a small church, everybody already knew what was going on. She had to come up and apologize. And I, Biblically, you know, is that restoration? I'm not sure at that point. But in my mindset where I was, was... You know, I was already basically 90% in the world and away from God anyway, so that just pushed me over the tipping point. Um, I don't know if I was using that to justify my situation, but probably. <laughs> um, so I say basically from 13 to about 22 is what I call my dark ages. Um, I was in parties and everything that that lifestyle has to offer. Um, I got really far, totally consumed by darkness to the point that I would look in the mirror and I would see evil in my face and I would desire to be more evil. Like I wanted to get darker and darker as much as possible. Um, so I was really going the wrong way, which eventually got me into like the new age energies, kind of all this kind of stuff that um, kind of just a mix and a blend of all those kind of different things, spirituality stuff, um, which led me to what we would say is mind altering drugs. We thought they were mind opening drugs, right? They're enlightening you to this whole other world that people don't have access to, which just drives you more into yourself and self-focused, self-centered, nothing to do with what God wanted for my life. Um, so this went on for until about October 2003 when I had a major car accident, um, which put me about five feet from uh, death, actually. So uh, I was coming down off Mount Hood. I was working at the lodge. And coming down off Mount Hood from work one day, I came around a corner that was pretty tight, um, was going a little bit too fast. It was just raining. It wasn't even snowing, so it wasn't like I was skating around in the ice like crazy. Um, but just started coming down too fast. Later, I found out from my friends that they call that dead man's curve. Um, so that would have been helpful information. Uh, back then, uh, this was, so 2003, it was just a metal guardrail. Uh, if you go up there now, it's solid concrete barriers, which is, like, why they didn't do that fast sooner, I don't know. It already had the name of Dead Man's Curve. Why, you know, whatever. I'm not in charge of the city. It's not my job. <laughs> um, so those guardrails, though, as I was coming down, my back wheels, um, I felt them kind of slip, and I didn't know what to do. Like, you're supposed to turn into the curve. Well, turning into the curve was just clouds and trees. Like, it was a, it was... I don't know how high exactly, but it was several thousand feet, just straight drop cliff. Um, and so I didn't know what to do, so I just grabbed onto the wheel and shut my eyes. And I remember hearing, save me, but I don't remember saying, save me. So somebody in the car when I was by myself, somebody in the car said it. And it, was, it felt like it was just me and my deep, you know, my inner man was just like, please, he's about to kill us, make it stop. <laughs> and so I spun about two or three 360s out of control with my eyes closed. I felt impacts, I was hitting something, and I'm like, and then it just stopped, and it was like just calm and peace, and I'm like, I'm either falling off the cliff or I'm dead. I don't know. And I opened up my eyes, and the back window from the passenger seat had imploded. 
the front, the whole entire car was concaved onto my door frame, like right in the center of my door was the impact, and I had taken out three guardrail posts and had wrapped this like guardrail around my car, and basically just looked over like, well, I can't get out there, and I just kind of walked out the passenger side and was totally unharmed. And when I looked at the situation, my car was just, the five feet was five feet to the left. If I had been five feet to the right, my car would have just flipped over the cliff and been gone. And at that time in my life, with the whole new age and the energies and like everything happens for a reason, all this, like that really messed with my head because if everything happens for a reason, this, like I should still be alive. I said, save me and I'm not dead. So like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and so that led me to six months of trying to figure out, I was looking for answers in all the wrong places, um, trying to figure out, I think even the Tibetan book of the dead, I was looking in there. I don't why I was in there, but that's what was available in my friend's house that I was living in. Um, so eventually one day after trying to figure this all out for six months of what was going on, um, I went home and just kind of was at my point of like, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. I, if there's something out there, I feel something's going on. Like you have to make yourself real to me. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Um, and so I sat down and uh, got out my little pipe and decided to turn on the TV and watch uh, Christian television, right? Because they're all uh, brainwashed by the government. And so it was entertaining to watch all these, like, ridiculous people that are just following this whatever lie, um, which is so funny because I'm raised in the church. I'm like, you guys don't even know what you're talking about because I'm so enlightened at this point, right? Um, and so three shows came on very specifically. The first one was uh, How Much Jesus Loves Us, you know, the things that I've been taught all through uh, Sunday school. I'm sitting there, yeah, 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 I've heard that my whole life, whatever. And then the second one was a very graphic description. Uh, it was a documentary about what a crucifixion is and how, you know, you have to push up to breathe only so you can suffocate to, like, set back down. I'm like, at this point of the, the rave culture and everything that I was in was, like, peace, love, unity, and respect. Like, we were all about people and unity. and like, So I was in complete shock. Like, how somebody could invent this? Like, you had to be detailed to invent this. And then how these people could do this to people. You're nailing someone to a board that you know is going to suffocate to death. I'm like, I was in complete and utter shock. Because I, I knew that Jesus was crucified, but not in that much detail. And then the third show was how he did that specifically for us to pay for our sins. And like that, that broke me. That Romans 5, uh, 6 through 8 ties it in where it says, for While we were yet still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one, uh, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would uh, dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that broke me, and I was on the floor just, I, I saw in my mind's eye, like, a father figure turning a wardrobe mirror towards me, and I knew that I was about to see who I had become. And even before it got to me, I was on the floor just weeping and sobbing uncontrollably and crying in a way that I've never cried before and will never cry again um, because I was crying for the regret and the sorrow and just the guilt and shame and everything that I had done. I was seeing like flashbacks of times that I had overdosed at parties, times that I should be dead, and God was showing me <laughs> that he was there mm -hmm. each and every one of those moments. He's like, I saw you there, and I saw you there. I just, I don't know, it felt like I was on the floor forever, but I just was having all these memories and memories flashing through my head, and then all of a sudden I just felt like that was just being lifted, like I could physically feel him lifting that off me, that I didn't have to carry that anymore, that I was forgiven, like truly forgiven for everything, and even the times that I had gotten other Christians after their church events to come party with us in the evenings and do things that they shouldn't have been doing. I was proud of those times at that point, but at this point I was like, I don't have to be, I don't have to be charged with that guilt anymore. And so um, that was pretty much the transitioning point of my life that I stood up, 
finally after however long, and I just said, God, I don't know right from wrong anymore. I've been in the world for so long. I know I'm not supposed to kill people and steal stuff, but everything else is gray. I don't know anymore. I'm like, Lord, please show me right from wrong. And he showed me a picture of my mom's Bible from my childhood that I didn't even know was in the house anymore. I was living with her at that time, but she wasn't there. And she showed me this. I saw this Bible in a cabinet above the sink. I'm like, that's weird. And so I opened up the cabinet, and that Bible was up there, fell open, hit the sink, and rolled open to Proverbs. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I know that's the book of right and wrong. Like, that's right and wrong. That's the book. And I'm like, wait, so this God is a living God that talks to me. You know, growing up, it was like, submit your requests to God, and then he'll, like, decide what he wants to do. You don't get to communicate with him, right? <laughs> and so at this point, I'm like, God, I asked you to show me from right from wrong. You showed me where to find it. And like, we're having a communication. Like, this is a relationship now. And I'm like, oh, help me clean up my room now. And so I just stood in my room, and he just showed me everything that needed to go, and I was burning, you know, I gathered stuff up to go burn at a camp with, a, with all my friends that I wasn't supposed to hang out with anymore. But, um, and so that from there, I, I went searching for a church, um, church to belong to, tried several ones, found one um, eventually. Uh, it took about six months. But I found one that I was at for about eight years, and then in 2012, uh, well, so that was 19 years ago that I gave my life to the Lord. And so in about 2012, this interesting individual over here showed up <laughs> at my church. And uh, then, yeah, it was an interesting situation because I wasn't supposed to be dating anybody at that point. And then, yes. do you want me to tell about that? Sure. Okay. So basically, I put myself on a covenant from God that due to that whole circumstance, I was eight years into being saved. I didn't want to date anybody. I don't want anything to do with any women or any of that kind of stuff. Just I just want to serve you, Lord. And then, uh, so she came and then I started being interested in, like, we were friends for, you know, a year or so uh, before we actually started dating, but yeah. uh, just yeah. progressed from there. Good job. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I'm going to try to read through mine, and I'll probably get emotional. Um, so my story looked a little different. I'm the oldest of three girls. We all have different fathers. I grew up in a very dysfunctional, verbally, emotionally abusive, and narcissistic home. There was not much stability and many affairs that took place. I had no true understanding of a family unit growing up. I was put into circumstances where I was abandoned, had to grow up fast, and my innocence wasn't protected by my parents who God placed authority of over my life. Addictions to substances and drugs was and still is a lifestyle. Not for me. Um, growing up, there was a family from a local church that picked me up every Sunday morning in my early teen years. I constantly was saying the salvation prayer um, at that church. But I, I know my turning point for my walk with the Lord was when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in my mid-teens. Um, I was desperate for his leading. God made things very black and white and took me on a journey of healing. By the age of 15, there was a tipping point of severe abandonment I went through with my mom that made leaving the house or running away the best option. I had my own job, car, was already caring and providing for myself, so God, it felt like God was already providing and going before me. There have been many lies, as you could imagine, going through just that childhood, that as an adult have been revealed for me to sort through and heal from. I know all I can do is choose to forgive, or I know I would be a captive to the enemy's tactics for my life. I also went through a ministry healing process called Mending the Soul, and it helped me recognize the distortions and lies the enemy had me wrapped up in. 
about my childhood, my future, and my worth. And after a personal healing season, I've had the privilege to co-lead this group for a handful of seasons. So there are many insecurities and trust issues the Lord has healed and continues to heal in me. My husband is one of those places in my life where the Lord really provided healing because not having a solid father figure probably put me in a statistic where I should have ended up with someone else. Um, But God was so merciful to lead me to his arms. He was the first man in my life that revealed Christ's faithfulness and love to me. He had grace for my weaknesses, vision for life, and protection over our family. His tender heart towards the ways of the Lord, especially knowing his history, put me in awe at what Christ can do in just a moment of time to a willing heart. Um, He was the one for me, and though at times I didn't feel worthy of his love, he pursued me with a pure love. I could tell you stories. There was so many times I pushed him away. But he kept literally pursuing me and wooing me, leaving flowers on my car, like all these things. He's a wonderful father, he, he, and he loves his children very much. Um, and watching him with my children um, has restored my broken perspective on fatherhood. Um, I wanted to share this piece of scripture as it speaks of the mercy of the Lord. So, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's in Titus. So pieces of scripture like this, sorry, I'm kind of a mess right now. Um, So pieces of scripture like this, which reveal the Lord's heart towards his creation, has helped me through the years to live in forgiveness and compassion, and even in the really painful circumstances that don't seem justifiable. God sees it all, and it's the moments where I don't, where I don't try to understand the whys and allow the Holy Spirit to work where I can see the, where I can sense the healing of deep wounds. So circling back to us, we've been married for 10 years, 11 in February. For most of you who have been married, um, that, that one can agree that there's many ups and downs. Um, we have four children this side of heaven, three handsome boys, Kid Gideon, Boaz, and Zeke, and one precious little girl, Hosanna, we recently welcomed in November. I wish we had a picture, but... Um, so there's seasons in our marriage we have grieved not having a healthy blood family to raise our kids with. Our children don't get grandma and grandpa dates or sleepovers. Mom and dad don't get the convenience of having extra support and helping hands. But we do know we can't, we, we can't protect our children from everything in life, but we have a heavy conviction that our that the protection of their spiritual and emotional health as parents and for our children is the highest priority. Um, 
So this might get a little emotional, and it's kind of the end of our testimony, but a few years ago, <clears throat> we went through one of those most imaginable experiences of our lives, and we lost our first daughter just 36 hours before we were scheduled to meet her. So she was a beautiful full-term baby with nothing wrong with her. Her name was Haven. And that season, and even when I speak about it, feels like a nightmare. But somehow God again showed himself merciful and walked us through it. And somehow our faith became stronger. God's sovereignty was so evident and heaven seemed way more real. One morning we were at the hospital in the delivery room where there was a dead bird on our hospital porch. We believed it was a sparrow. It felt like death was all around us. We just lost our baby girl, and then there was a dead bird. But it reminded us of this scripture. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? And once again, we felt God's grace and mercy in the midst of one of our deepest traumas. And because of our history and heart with trauma and grief, even before our daughter's passing, God laid a very clear burden and ministry out for us to endure. And we established the Haven Rose Foundation within three months of her passing. We have had the privilege of serving and walking with families who have lost pregnancies, infants, children, and teens. We take them a basket, and we have hope mentors that drop drop it off to them, if they allow us into their home, we'll, off, we'll offer prayer for their burdened hearts. And through this small token of love, Christ is revealed. This ministry has been fruitful. We've had victories and growing pains. But for being established during COVID um, pandemic, we have been blessed to see God's hand of provision and faithfulness. One unspoken word or one unspoken thing I think Rotho and I both have yet to actually recognize and voice to each other is that we are two very strong and resilient individuals that love each other with everything within us. And for the history of brokenness we both had growing up, our marriage, love, and commitment for each other is truly a testament. We are thankful for this beautiful Calvary family. God led us here for a purpose, and we are slowly finding our place. There are a few women in this body who walked close by my side during this pregnancy with Hosanna, and it truly was my lifeline during anxieties and fears I had from the trauma of losing our first daughter. So thank you so much. Um, And we hope and pray our family can be a blessing to this body. (laughs) 